This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Drop it. All right. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Say hello to L.A., Cleveland, Miami, California, Lakewood, Muncie. Where else? Where did we forget? Anything else? Anywhere else? And all over the world. Kansas. I don't know if Kansas is still on. I think so. Okay, so, Baruch Hashem, I'm sure that everybody had an amazing point. First of all, I want to make two announcements. Number one, next Wednesday night, there's no shear. Calm down. But there is a shear. The shear will take place in Shalamit at 8 o'clock because Rabbi Olavsky's coming, and I'm speaking together with him. So Wednesday night, we're, we're trying to raise money for Yitzchak, to pay the Rabbeim for Pesach. A little bit of the money is going to go to Arnava also. So it's $18. Um, and Rabbi Olavsky and myself are speaking. I'm going to speak at 8 from 8 to 9. He's going to speak from 9 to 10. So it should be very enjoyable. Um, it's not going to be in Arnava. It's going to be in Shalamis. There's about 800 seats. But um, it's going to be separate seating. But there are also going to be men invited. So there's not going to be that many seats. Usually it's always all girls. But it's not 800 seats for girls. So... My advice is there's going to be someone walking in with tickets probably around 10.30. If you want to buy the $18 tickets, he also has $36 tickets. It's really, it's an adava. It's, it's a, it's a um, you can use some money for this. It's a, um, uh, an adava for Pesach to help pay the rabbi and pay the teachers. So it's Shulamis. He's going to have papers and flyers, the exact address. It's right off Avenue M and whatever. He's 15th, somewhere around there, 13th, 15th, 14th, 13th. Okay, so next week, Rabbi Freeman's not going to speak. And I'm not going to be here, but I'm going to be there. So the shir is at 8 o'clock, Mirza Hashem, in Shalamis. So we, you're all invited, and it's $18. And then they have better tickets that are even closer to up front. Rabbi Olavsky, I, I mean, I love listening to him. He's absolutely hilarious. He gets his point across also, but he's very funny. So uh, I'm serious. He's funny. It should work out, Mirza Hashem. <laughs> maybe, Monday, maybe Wednesday night I'll be funny. He'll be serious. We'll see. All right. So this is what? This is... This is for live. Hello to everybody live. There are people that are watching live? Yeah? Okay. 23 people. Hi, 23 people watching live. Okay. So those who are watching live in Mitzvah next week, get to your uh, internet, if you have it, um, at 8 o'clock. We'll be on at 8 o'clock, Rabbi Wallstein and Rabbi Olowski. What? I guess so. I don't know. What? I don't know yet. We'll see. We'll have to find out. Okay, so um, we'll be on live in Mirza Hashem also. I don't know if, if or Yitzhak will want it on live. I think we'll be on live. You can you show up at 8 o'clock, whoever's watching on live, and you'll see if we're on. I hope that we'll be on. I'll push that we should be on. Okay, so let's talk about um, we, a little bit about Purim. We spoke last week and the connection of Purim and Pesach. And what are we supposed to do now these next three weeks, four weeks before Pesach? What's our job to do? What do we need to do besides clean the house? or pack our bags to the hotel, whatever we're doing this year, um, what, what are we supposed to be doing? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to connect it to, we know that Pesach and Purim are connected, because if there's an Adrashani, if there's an Adrashani, so we know that Purim comes out in Adrashani, not in Adrishon, because the two geulas of Adar, of Purim, and of Pesach have to be in the months next to each other. So if we put it in Adrishon, then Adrashani would get in between. So we know that the geula that happened on Purim and the Geula that happened on Pesach are very connected to each other and tonight we're going to try Mitzah Hashem 
the next 45 minutes, we're going to try to, to connect the two. So let's go back a little bit um, to last week's year. So last week's year, we talked about Purim, and we talked about that whole story with the governor. So I'm just going to go over it really fast, the story with the governor. So there was a governor, and he had a wife, and his wife did something very wrong, and uh, what was happening? <laughs> and um, so he ended up, the governor ended up prosecuting, he ended up prosecuting his wife, and he was actually the prosecutor. Now, when there's a death, a death uh, verdict, so the governor has to sign the, the death warrant. As we know, that, you know on, on the Jewish guy that was killed, Grossman, so um, the governor um, signed the death warrant. I guess it's the governor of Florida. So this governor ended up signing the death warrant, which we spoke about last week. He ended up signing the death warrant on his own wife. And we told this emotional story. Some of the girls were crying last week. I was almost crying when I said it last week. Oops, keep the stand there one piece. So um, we told this emotional story where the, the woman, his wife, was supposed to be executed at 6 o'clock, and um, it was lethal injection, which is a shot of poison. And, uh, and we know that, you know, from the Grossman story, I don't know if you read the article by the Lubavitcher guy that was in there. It's very amazing. You should read it. Um, how the last minute this, this Grossman screamed out, Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad. He also screamed out, Ahav Asisrael, came out of nowhere. Um, and, and, then, and he died. That's how he died, with those last words. So... Um, so there's a room, the room that the person's being executed is like a glass soundproof room, and there's a bed, a table, like in, a, like in an operating room. There's a table, and the person is strapped down on the table, and their arm is out, and then they have the intravenous, and then they take the shot, and they, 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 they put the shot into the intravenous, which the shot has the lethal poison, and within a minute, the person shakes for a minute, and the, and the person dies. So, so in the room to watch that the person died and that they didn't pull off some shenanigan and the person escaped. So in the glass room, there's a policeman that's standing at the top of the bed. And outside the glass room, watching is the press, the people, and by Grossman, the, 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 he murdered their daughter, so they wanted to watch him die, whatever. So they were there. This Lubavitcher guy was there. But in our story, um, the governor was there because the governor was the one who prosecuted his wife. And there was two people from the press. So they get into this room, the, gla- you know, the room next to the glass room at 530, and the guys from the press are walking over to the governor like, Governor, you're the governor, it's your wife. I mean, you can pardon her. Like, why don't you pardon her? And he's like, no, there's no, there's no discussion here. I'm not discussing with anyone. She's dying. I'm executing her. So I told you last week, it's a quarter to six, it's ten to six. He turns off his cell phone because everybody's emailing the governor like, she still has ten minutes, pardon her, and of course he doesn't want to hear it. So he decides... He's not pardoning her. Forget it. That's it. And it's 10 to 6. And all of a sudden, like at 7 minutes to 6, she's laying in this bed, tied down. She turns her head towards the window where he's standing and watching. And I did this for you last week. I'm not going to be that emotional this week because it's repetitive. And she turns to him, and he's looking, watching his wife's about to die. And she turns to him, and she says, I love you. Some people complained last week that I said it too low. They didn't hear it. Um, (laughs) I love you, and I'll love you forever, and I forgive you, and no matter what you do to me, it won't change anything, and I know I'm going to heaven, and you should just know that I love you on my way to heaven, I love you in heaven, there's, you know, I I love you to the end of the world, and the governor's standing there, it's five minutes to six, and he's listening to this woman who he signed a death warrant, and he prosecuted her, and he's the one who's putting her to death, and he's saying to himself, what am I sugar now, I'm crazy, I'm out of my mind, what am I doing? This woman, after everything I did, she's telling me she loves me. She's the only person in the whole world 
that really loves me, and I'm about to put it to death. And he realizes what a mistake he's making. So he starts banging on the glass, and he's like, pardon, pardon, pardon. But it's soundproof. And the cop's just standing there, and, and then the guy with the needle is just standing. They don't hear anything. They see the guy pounding on. They don't know what he's saying. Killer, murderer. They don't know what he's saying. Saying pardon. So he realizes that if he's going to keep pounding on the glass, she's going to die. So he runs around, and he opens the door, and he runs in, and it's mamish two minutes to six. And he realizes that by the time he explains them pardon, the guy's going to put the shot in, she's going to be dead. So he runs over to her, and he rips the, the bands that are on her. He doesn't even have time to open them like a seatbelt. He just rips them off the bed. He grabs her, and like there's a whole tumult, a whole thing going on in the room. And he grabs her. It's like a very romantic story. And he, and he, <laughs> and he runs... He runs through the prison, and everyone's screaming, and the alarm bells are going off, and all kinds of things are going off. And he's the governor, and he's running, and he runs out of the prison. He's finally clear of the prison. He puts her in, her, in his car, and he drives off. And she's in the car, and, and, and I don't want to get into the whole mushy things, and they look at each other, and it's like, he realizes that he almost lost the best thing in his life. The best thing in his life. Here he was. He was trying to put it to death, and, and she's telling him how much she loves him. And, 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 and Chitaka loved him very much, so she was very happy that she was alive. And she could live with him for the rest of her life. So, you know, we explained that on Purim, whatever you ask for, Hashem will give you. And, and that's because, like, you know, as she's driving, she tells her husband, the governor, you know, I'm a little hungry. I haven't eaten in 24 hours. And he's like, whatever you want. You want me to buy McDonald's, the whole chain? You want me to, you know, whatever you want. Of course, if you're hungry, I'll do whatever you want. So that's Purim. That's Purim. It's a very nice story, right? It's a beautiful story. Now... When I finished telling this story last week, Wednesday night, I went home. I have to tell you that on Purim, my davening was different because I was thinking about this story all the time. You know, when I davened was seeking Purim morning, I was mama standing in Shemonesra and I was like, like, you know, the whole Jewish nation was on that, in that room and we we're about to die and, 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 and we're fasting and we're davening to Hashem and Hashem was the governor. Hashem's the one who signed the death warrant and he's watching us die on Purim. He's watching us die. And the last second, Esther tells Klai Yisrael, don't give up, you know, but what do you mean? Hashem signed off that we're dead. Eliyahu said that we're dead. What are we doing? And they went and they davened and they cried and they said, Kriyashma. And, and in the end, Hashem said, what am I doing? I'm going to destroy Klai Yisrael. I signed off, I signed them off. I signed off their death warrant. I signed them to die. And they're coming to me now and they're crying and they're saying, Kriyashma? <laughs> so he, on Purim, he ripped up the Xeri. He ripped us up and grabbed us. And saved us. That, that's amazing. That's Purim. And, and I, thought, I said last week, I mentioned it to you, like, you know, so it's, that's beautiful. But, you know, like in our day and age, who's doing that, girls? We're going to do that? We got enough problems. We have enough questions on God, why he does this, why he does that. He's not fair. He's not nice. He's not this. You know, I get this all day long. Someone just told me today that her, her son was from, and now he's not from, because he found out he had diabetes. So he wanted to know why he has diabetes and the whole world doesn't. So it means Hashem is mean and there can't be a God and he gave up the whole thing because he found that he had diabetes instead of saying, well, I have diabetes, so you'll take your, your insulin, you'll take your medicine for whatever reason. You know? so, he, he went to, so in our day and age, it's a great story, but like, how's that going to ever happen? In our day and age, that can't happen. So I thought a little bit, and I mentioned it last week, in the Holocaust, God, you know, these people were dying and they were being stuffed into a gas chamber and instead of getting into the gas chamber and screaming, there is no God, we're atheists, we don't believe in, the, in God anymore, how could he do such a thing? Because who was pressed and squeezed into that gas chamber? Religious Jews. You know, rabbis with long beards and payas. They were the ones that were, that were in there. 
And then what were they screaming? What did they scream when they closed the door and they locked the door and they dropped the gas canisters in and they knew they were dying and they were clawing to get to the top of the gas chamber to get some air? They were all screaming Shema Yisrael. So they were on the same level as Purim. But what about our generation, girls? Is that what we would do? It never happened, but is that how we react? No way. So when I walked out of here, I said to myself, great story. I hope they liked it. I hope they had a good cry, you know? But, but what does that have to do with, with me and the people in our generation? We, we don't react that way. We get angry when Hashem doesn't treat us right. So, like, you know, it's a great story, but what does that have to do with us, right? But God has a way of answering. So, my mazel, I guess that question in my mind, Hashem said, Wallstein, you need to know, so I'm going to show you. So, last week, Shabbos, I decided that Shabbos before Purim, this past Shabbos, right? Mutzah Shabbos was reading the Megillah, that myself and my wife were going to Muncie. I'm going to my friend in Muncie. I haven't been in Muncie in 12 years. I'm going to my friend in Muncie. Nobody knows me. I don't got to speak. No speeches. No questions. I'm going to sleep Shabbos. I'm going to get Koyach, so I'm going to have a lot of Koyach on Purim. It's going to be an amazing Shabbos. A getaway. So, no problem. We called up my friend Hertz, Moshe Hertz, and his wife Suri. We're coming to Muncie. Okay. Now, they live on a block in Muncie called Olympia Court. Olympia Court is next to a place called Walla something. What is it? What? Wallenberg. Now, we didn't know that Wallenberg, so there's these two, like, areas, the communities. Now, Wallenberg's electricity, because of the snow on Thursday, Wallenberg's electricity was out. But we didn't know that. We weren't going to Wallenberg anyway. We were going to Olympia. But when we got there to Muncie at 3 o'clock, I got there early so I could rest. You know, everything was, in, everything was going great. You know, we planned many things in life, and things were going absolutely amazing. They were going great. So, so we come to Olympia Court to my friend. Everything's beautiful. 3 o'clock. I'm never so early for Shabbos. 3 o'clock. I don't even know what to do with myself, right? So everything is fine. Now, all the people from Wallenberg came to Olympia because they had no electricity for Shabbos. So Olympia didn't only have Olympia people, but they had Wallenberg people who hadn't had electricity since Thursday. Very nice. It's awesome, beautiful. Kleistrol is, is amazing. Okay. So what time is Shabbos? Shabbos was 525. So Mincha was 535. So the people, the Hertzes, they went to Shul a little bit early. But I was going to go to Mincha at 535. So I was still in the house at 525. At 526... At 5.26, electricity in Olympia went off. <laughs> so now, there's no electricity in Olympia. Now, the crockpots are done. The fridge is done. And there's no electricity. So, I didn't make Shabbos yet. My wife already had lit, but the, the wife, uh, Mrs. Hurst, didn't light yet. So we had, we had a couple of minutes to put out tea lights. Because who knows when the electricity is going to come back on. Now, we're not used to this in Brooklyn, right, at all. So... We put tea lights downstairs. You're running, but Shabbos is ticking. And, and we didn't think of that's going to last a long time. So we didn't take the chont out of the crock pot and put it into another pot and put that on the blech because the blech was gas, which we could have used. Anyway, to make a long story short, I didn't want to miss mincha. So I had to leave within five minutes. And I come to shul, and the shul is pitch dark. But it's not dark yet because the sun is just setting. But what's on in the shul, these emergency, those, those exit lights, those two... Those two lights over the exit. So they work by battery. If there's a fire, they work by battery. So we're in this huge shul, right, in Olympia. And the only light that's in the shul are those lights. And they only last for one hour. Okay. I'm saying to myself, this is total panic. God, I try to get away. 
Now, I'm, first of all, it's freezing. It was right after that snowstorm. Freezing in Muncie. It's like 28 degrees. No heat. All the, all the, all the, no electricity, no heat. Because they have, they have baseboard heating. And it's run by electricity. So no electricity, no heat. Okay. My, I, you know, this, I never had this in my life. Because even if, if you have a blackout, you have, you have flashlights. But it was, everybody was in shul already. So there were no flashlights. There were no candles. There were just these one-hour lights. Anyway, so we come to shul, and I'm thinking to myself, we got to dive in really fast, because the minute those tea lights go out, you're not going to see your food. And if you don't see your food, you don't taste your food. You know that? If you're a blind... No, it's not funny. It says that in the Gemara, it says a blind person, besides being blind, never gets full, because you don't taste your food if you can't see your food. We don't even, we don't even understand that. We're able to see girls. It's such an unbelievable thing. I, this Shabbos, realized what it's like to live in pure darkness, which is the most scary thing in the world. Um, especially if you're in somebody else's house and you don't know where the bathroom is. <laughs> it's one thing if, you're, if the lights are out in your house and you know your way around, but when you're in someone else's house in the basement, you're like, I'm not going to fall down the stairs or somewhere, you know. So, so it's pretty scary, but we don't, we don't understand that. But with Shabbos, I got to... Anyway, so, so I'm in shul, and I'm thinking that they better dive in really fast, because if they don't dive in really fast, by the time we get home, the lights are going to be out, we're not going to be able to make kiddush, whatever it is. So, I come to Shul, they dive mincha, nice and slow. There's a little bit of a buzz, you know, no electricity, everyone's trying to figure out. But it's so pitch dark, because the lights on the poles of the, in the street are also out. It's a total blackout. Total blackout. So, we're in Shul, and all of a sudden you realize, everybody in this room, you realize that there's a light that's on a whole day that we take for granted. And that's the sun. And as the sun is setting and we're finishing mincha, the shul is getting darker and darker. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's about to get pitch dark in here. So it got pitch dark, except in the shul they had these four lights that were still on. And we come to Myriv and they're davening slowly. And I'm like, what are these people thinking? You know, now, before the lights went out, this is the Shabbos before Purim. This is like the happiest Shabbos of the year. You're, everybody's psyched. You know, Matze Shabbos is going to read the Megillah. So, you know, you got all your food up, and, and there are a lot of visitors and a lot of people from who came from the other place to come here and ended up in the same darkness. Didn't help them at all. So they come to L'Chadaydi, and there's like one guy gets up, and he starts telling the Chazan, No, hurry up. You know, we, 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 we got to move. We, we're, we're in a rush over here. So... He's singing L'chadaydi like nothing ever happened. <laughs> and the whole shul is singing L'chadaydi like nothing ever happened. And I'm like, this is not going to work out. And in, really, and, and the reason I'm telling you all the story is that instead of, instead of them getting angry and upset that HaKad Hashem, like, what are you doing, God? You waited till a minute before Shabbos so nobody could get flashlights and nobody could get their, their lawn candles out. I mean, come on. Everybody was in shul already. It's like, like God pulled this off the last minute. If we would have pulled it off at 3 o'clock, we could have had generators and all kinds of stuff. So it's like, what are you doing? You know, we're, we're making Shabbos. We're the guys who keep Shabbos. Take the lights out on the people who don't keep Shabbos. We're the guys who put up the crock pot. Put up a crock pot to have cold chill in. Like, so, so you're sitting there and you're thinking about, like, Hashem, what are you doing? You know, why are you signing the death warrant? Why, why, why did you sign that the lights should go out? You know, on all these good Jews, and they're good Jews. No, it wasn't, that was not the reaction. They, they, they were excited about this. This was exciting. Davening in the dark. You know? 
Only Jewish people, like, you know, Davin in the dark. And we're, we're so holy, like, you know, I don't want to say the other religion, but imagine having other religions. Okay, flip on, you know, get, go get a generator, you know, shatzatchak, you know, whatever, you know. Nothing. There was no discussion. After Luchadoidi, so we finished Boi Shalom. all of a sudden, a guy in the shul starts singing Shoshana's Yaakov. We finished Luchadoidi. <laughs> and before you know it, the whole shul is dancing. I was with them around the bima, like God. You can turn off the lights, but you can't turn us off. And they never dance after lechadidi. But tonight, you turn off the lights, we're going to show you. And they dance lechadidi for like ten minutes, the whole place. And then when they finish lechadidi, I'm like, "This is all very nice. You proved your point, but I'm hungry." <laughs> and then they start singing like Yehudim Haisa'ira, like Yehudim Haisa'ira. Because I think, they were, you know, they were, they were, like, who the means for the Jews, there was light. So maybe they figured if they're going to sing it, the lights are going to go on. But, and they start singing, and they start dancing another 10 minutes. It was amazing. So I sat down by Maya when I was davening, and I looked around the room, and everybody was davening Kriya Shema, and there was so much holiness in the room. And I said, okay, Hashem, I got it. I got it. It could happen in our day, too. Instead of... God, how could you sign this decree that the lights and electricity would go off and we're going to freeze now and we're going to have darkness in our houses so we're going to dive in real fast. We're going to swallow all the words because you did this to us. We're going to dive in five minutes. No. They turned around to the governor and they said, I love you. And no matter what you're going to do, turn off the lights, turn off the electricity. We love you anyway and we're going to dive in slow and we're going to dance and we're going to sing. <laughs> and I realized Hashem gave me my answer from Wednesday night. I was like, the Holocaust, and this and that, it can happen today. The reaction was absolutely not normal amazing. I'll finish the story. <laughs> so, so anyway, so we're, uh, so I'm, I'm figuring the whole time the lights are going to go back on, the lights are going to go back on. So anyway, I'm sitting by the meal, and now we have to figure out, we have to eat the meal, Baruch Hashem, you have Shabbos left by the meal, so they last more than the tea lights. So um, we finished the meal, we cleaned up, and as we cleaned up, the last light of the Shabbos left went out. So it was like very bashat. But I sat by the table and I said, I don't want to show off that I'm a makubal, but I know when the lights are going on. And they were all, you know, they were all sitting around the table like, yeah, when? I'm like, I'm going to give you the exact time. Tomorrow morning at 6.31. They were like, they were like, what? How would you know that? I'm like, because I know what time Vasikin is, and Vasikin is 6.31. And I realized that guaranteed every day, everybody in this room, Hashem turns the lights on every morning. No fear that at 6.31, the sun's coming up and it's going to be light for everybody. And I said to myself, look at this, generators and American and, and human-made things, they go out. But every single day, you know, tomorrow morning, 6.28, if all the lights in this room go off, if the whole world has an electric outage, here at 6.28 tomorrow morning, we know we're going to have light. You just got to make it till 628. And then a whole day. It cannot go out. Yes, it was cloudy, but it was still very light. <coughs> Not only that, but Hashem did another miracle for us. And this was really interesting. Last Friday night was the 13th. So it was pretty much a full moon. Not only was it a full moon, but Muncie is full of snow. So the reflection of the moon on the snow... It was lighter outside, was lighter outside than it was inside the house. 
So we opened up, we opened up the window shades of the dark house to let in the light of the moon that was reflecting off the snow. This is stuff you just don't get every day. So the moon, which nobody gives any attention to, we never look up at the moon. That night, Mamish gave light. There were people outside. Everybody was talking outside. Everyone went outside their house because outside it was light. Inside it was dark. Outside it was light. So Kosh Baruch Hu has, when it says in Bereshis that he created two luminaries, we just learned that he created two luminaries. No, he really created two luminaries. He created two luminaries that light up the world, and we just, we just take it for granted. So Shabbos by day, the still lights were not on, and it was really cold. And all of a sudden, I really appreciated what a blanket means, because there was no heat. It was about 55 degrees or 54 degrees in the house, but you put on enough blankets, it keeps you warm. A blanket also has no meaning. You kick it off, you throw it on, it has no meaning to you. But when it's cold in the house, it has a very big meaning. So all of a sudden, everything started to have a meaning. It was like, you know, no hot water for the coffee. You know, you take for granted, you have those urns, but that they were cold, the water was cold. And hot, the refrigerator was not working, so we took all the food that needed to stay cold, and we put it in the porch in the snow. <laughs> so the snow kept it cold. All of Hashem's briefs, the sun, the snow, the moon, all came into use. So maybe this Shabbos, this past Shabbos, what Hashem wanted Olympia to learn is that if you don't have all these things, the man-made things, don't worry, I got you covered. I got snow to keep things cold. I got the moon at night to keep things light. I got the sun during the day to keep things light. And I learned a very big lesson. But the way these people reacted to the electricity going off was absolutely amazing. So the Rav gets up. At the end of Motsuf, it's like 11.30, and electricity is still off. But now we're sitting in shul, no problem, because it's light. The, the, you know, the, the sun's up. And he says, listen, tonight, so I'm thinking like, okay, tonight there's not going to be any light. So somebody started a rumor that they said till March 3rd there won't be electricity, whatever. But nobody was freaking out. So the rub got up and he said, well, we're not going anywhere tonight. We're reading the Megillah here. I'm like, in the dark? He goes, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna daven mincha. We're going to have a fast shalashudas. Then when it comes to time, this man, you're going to say, Baruch HaMadam, you're going to go home, and everybody bring flashlights. We're not leaving the shul. This is where we read the Megillah. This is where we read the Megillah. Everyone bring flashlights. One guy was telling the other guy, I have a, tra- a, a house trailer with big lamps on top. We're going to bring that to the shul. Cars facing the shul. It was amazing. <laughs> it was like so exciting. It was like, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you can turn off the lights. You can take off electricity. It could be freezing because it was pretty, very cold at that point. We're coming to hear the Megillah in our shul. That's Klai Yisrael. That's Klai Yisrael. That's, that's Klai Yisrael. That's what's going to bring Mashiach. That's what happened on Purim. That's what happened on Purim. That, you know, these things happen, and instead of reacting and being angry, the Gemara says that when Mashiach comes, the Goyim are going to say, we also, we also want to keep the mitzvah. The is going to give them the mitzvah of sukkah, and then it's going to get so hot, they're going to go out of the sukkah, and they're going to kick it. They're going to kick it. So, why are they going to kick it? And then Hashem is going to say, that's why you're not going to have Mashiach. Why are they going to kick it? Because their belief is that if I do what God wants, then God's going to reward me. So if I go into a sukkah, He's going to make it nice and comfortable. So they're gonna, when they walk out, they're going to say, what kind of God is this? He tells us to go into sukkah, and then he makes it 140 degrees, so they're going to kick it. And therefore, they don't deserve Mashiach. We, on the other hand, gets hot, he gets hot. We don't kick the mitzvah. They didn't get angry in shul, just the opposite. They were makabalit with simcha and ba'ava. So we see that today, in a person's life, you need to do the same thing. We need to learn from this, that sometimes the lights go out in your life. Electricity goes out. Things are not exactly what you expected them to be. Things are not exactly what you wanted. 
So you have two ways to react. You could say, Hashem, how could you do this to me? I'm doing everything right, or I'm trying, and you do this to me, and kick him. Or you could turn around like that and say, God, you can kick me, push me, throw me around, do whatever you want. I'm still going to love you. It don't make a difference. Turn off the lights, turn on the lights, make it cold, make it hard. Don't make a difference. I love you anyway. And if a person has the kayak to do that, then whatever they need, Hashem will help them. Hashem's just looking to see, Hashem's just looking to see what reaction that person's going to have. No, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's good, it's good, it's good, I'm fine. The person, Hashem just wants to see what kind of reaction is that person going to have. And, and I think that's something that we all need to learn very much. So, I want to end with this thought. It's a, it's a beautiful story. I know it took a lot of time, but it's very, it's, it's, we learned so much from it. Um, on the same subject matter of having a hard time, so a lady came to talk to me this week, and um, she's having a very tough life. And she's not having an easy marriage. So I asked her if she's coming to me for divorce. Is she coming to me that you want to help me help you with a divorce? And she said, no, I'm not, I have a lot of children. I'm not interested in getting divorced. But I don't have Simcha Sachayim. I don't get along with my husband. We don't even talk to each other. I, I don't have happiness in my life. So I said, you need to help me find happiness in my life. So I said the following story. I told her the following story. It's a true story. So I, I hate roller coasters. I have a problem since I'm a kid with heights. You put, I go up high, I look down, I get very dizzy. So I don't go on roller coasters. What for? I don't enjoy them. Well, one of my trips with my kids, um, my class, my yeshiva, whatever, Adventureland, whatever it was, they're like, Rebbe the chicken, Rebbe the chicken, you know. <laughs> uh, Rebbe can't go on a roller coaster. Rebbe, you're yellow. Come on, come on, you wimp. Get on the roller coaster with us. I'm like, no, I don't like roller coasters, you know. So why should I do something I don't like? And anyway, of course, I had to be a little macho. So, okay, I'm going. <laughs> One of the biggest mistakes of my life. So, um, so I get on this roller coaster, and it pulls you up really slowly to make you suffer. And then all the kids around me are screaming, yay, and I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do here? I'm nuts. So, like, what do you do to stop the guy from, from the roller coaster? You don't. You're on. You're going. There's no way. You can't get off. So I'm panicking. I'm really panicking. And I'm like... This thing's pulling up, you know, take you all the way to the top, and then they drop you, and, and I have like four seconds till we get to the top, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to start throwing up in front of all these kids, right? And they, they're like, Rebbe, I want to go 20 times in a row, and I'm, I'm going once, and I'm going to be barfing all over the place. So, so I made a decision in my mind. I said, listen, you're going on this roller coaster. You, you, you don't got no choice. You can be sick and green and throw up, or you can have the best time of your life. Make yourself crazy. So I picked up my hands, and I started screaming at the top of my lungs. <laughs> I looked like an idiot because I didn't know that when they get to the top, they stop for a second. Then they drop you. So when they got to the top, I'm already yelling, screaming, and, not, and they didn't go anywhere. Okay, then they dropped me, and like, it's 45 seconds of Gehenna. Mamish Gehenna, that thing's flying around, flying. But I'm yelling, and I'm screaming, and I'm focusing on good things, you know? <laughs> Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, I made it. 45 seconds, I made it. I have to tell you, I had a pretty good time. I never yelled that loud in my whole life. And I got off the roller coaster, and I wasn't nauseous or dizzy. So they're like, you see, Rebbe, you could do it. I'm like, I did it. I'm not doing it again. I got to go help those kids over there on the merry-go-round. So, so I told this lady, I said, listen... You're on the, what we call, it sounds like very, uh, what, you're on the roller coaster of life. 
you, we, we, we're not allowed to take our life, chas v'shalom, so you can't get off the roller coaster. So you're on the roller coaster already. Now it's, gonna, it's a tough, you're on a, you're in a, you're in a tough ride. It's a tough ride, you know, you, the husband, the whole situation is a very tough ride. But you're on this ride and you don't, ha- you don't have a choice. It's the ride that was given to you. So you have a choice. You can get real dizzy and nauseous and sick. Or you can have a good time. Now, it doesn't mean drinking and drugging. It means start focusing. I said to her, you have children, you have grandchildren, you have a job, whatever it is. Start to focus on the good things during the ride and you'll have some hachayim. Learn to focus on the good stuff that you have in your life. Focus on that the sun comes up in the morning. You don't have to worry about a blackout. I mean, I found this Shabbos that there's so many good things that we don't even know about. There's snow to put things in to keep it cold. There's a sun that gives you sunlight during the day. You know what I'm saying? And there's people. I got to tell you something very interesting. At the beginning of davening, it was like 54 degrees in shul. But the shul filled up. By the end of davening, now there was no heat. By the end of davening, it was like 64 degrees. A lot of people together give off heat. It's interesting. So even just being in the room together put, brought the degrees up 10 degrees. Just interesting things that you, you know, that you don't, you know, you're alone. When you're alone, it's very cold. When there's other people and there's, and there's davening. And the whole, the whole ruach was, mamish, was one of the warmest Shabbos davenings I ever went to. And it was in the bitter cold. So, 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 yeah, we're all on roller coaster rides. And sometimes we're very scared of heights and we're very scared of our life. We're very scared of what we're going through, and, 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 and how, do you, how do you make it? And the answer is you can't get off the roller coaster, but you can scream and yell and have a good time and, 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 do, and, and focus on, on the good things. And everybody has, everybody has good things. Amir Tashem, in two weeks, Wednesday night, we're going to have a very interesting shir here. I'm going to be here, but um, I'm going to be speaking together with a guy whose name is Levi. Levi, actually, Levi, Levi Lamed Beis Yud. And I spoke about that Wednesday. That's Rabbi Groner, by the way, in the back. Rabbi Groner runs Or Yitzchak. He's the man. He has spoken here a few times. You will always look up to him. Guaranteed. I look up to him. Everybody that has anything to do with him looks up to him. At 6'4", you're going to look up to him. But, but this, Amir Tashem, he's going to be here in two weeks, Wednesday night. Nobody here should miss this. He, he's blind. And, um, and um, he used to be able to see, and he lost his vision. And he's going to talk to you how... He still has Simchas Achayim. I've heard him speak. It's, it's amazing. It's, and, I, and I want him to come before Pesach. So, Mitzvah not next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, we're going to have in Shulam. It's sold out. Rabbi Olavsky, Rabbi Wallerstein, Mitzvah Shem. But the, it's okay. It's, it's fine. But the Wednesday, the Wednesday after Mitzvah he'll be here. You should not miss that share. I'll be here together with him. I heard him speak. It's not normal. And um, this might sound like funny, but it's not funny. I've never heard someone shed light on life more than this blind this blind person he's not he's amazing and he needs a shidduch but he's he's absolutely amazing and he's going to come Hashem, in two weeks so i want to end off so anyway so that's so i want to end off just with a thought about pesach so so what are we supposed to be doing now for the next three weeks just very short and i'll let you go have a grown you want to speak you want to say something no okay so, the following. Pesach, just very fast, we'll talk more about this Mitzvah by my share next week. Pesach is the birth, the birth of the Jewish nation. We were not a nation until we came out of Mitzrayim. We became Am Yisrael in Mitzrayim. We were born as a nation. We went into a nation, we went into, into, into Mitzrayim as 70 individuals. We came out of Mitzrayim as one nation. So the birth of the nation of Klai Yisrael is at the Seder. 
we create a baby at the Seder. It's a, it's a, it's a long share. I, I hope to talk about it next week, definitely the following week together with him. But there are bones in a baby. That's the matzah. There is blood in a, in a human. That's, the, that's the, um, the wine. And we're going to build at the Seder, we're going to build a child. That child is called Am Yisrael. But what happened was, if you read the Torah, it says that Klai Yisrael went out of Mitzrayim, and it uses a very weird word, Bechipazon. Chipazon is an urgency. So what really happened was, we were supposed to be, go to Mitzrayim, and then leave Mitzrayim as a nation, but we fell in Mitzrayim to the 49th level of Tumah. And Hashem knew that if we remain in Mitzrayim for another day, we're going to hit the 50th and we'll never get out. Which means, for women who give birth know what I'm talking about, which means that when, when, a, girl, when a woman's in, in, um, in labor, so they watch the baby to make sure the baby's not under stress. If the baby gets under stress, immediately they wheel the mother into an operating room and they, you should never know from it because it's pretty painful. Not that I ever had one, but I heard about it. Um, they do a cesarean, which is, which, is, which is an operation. What happened in Mitzrayim was Hashem had to do a cesarean. Because we were supposed to be born. But he saw that we were under crazy pressure and that if we hit the 50th level, we'll die. We'll never come out of Mitzrayim. So this baby that was supposed to be born, Pesach night, right, naturally, was in grave danger. So Bichipazon, Hashem made a decision now. Marcus Bechorah said 12 o'clock, the next day we're out of here. Because if I don't get them out of here now, they're never going to make it. Now what's the difference, I'll give you a little, not to scare anyone, but what's the difference between a birthing room and where you have a cesarean? A cesarean is done in an operating room. Now, some of you have children, some of you are single, so you've never been in a birthing room. You go into a birthing room, I remember I brought my wife into the birthing room, that's where you give birth naturally, right? You're like... I don't know, the girl looks at it and says, I don't know, everyone says that it's painful to give birth. The birthing room, you have this couch and a beautiful bed. Met that grace of television, you know? <laughs> nothing scary in the room. No forceps, no stirrups, no nothing. It looks like, it looks like your living room. You walk in there, you're like, oh, this is nothing, it's going to be easy. But if Chas Rishon, you have to have a cesarean, so I went in with my wife, and, you know, they give you the gloves and everything, and you have to wear a mask, and you have to wear the gloves, and you have to wear the suit, and you have to wear the green stuff on your shoes. You don't have to wear that in a birthing room. You don't have to wear any of that in a birthing room. But in the operating room, and it's all steel. Steel, the bed is steel, the pans are steel, the machines are steel, the place smells, it's sterile, it smells from alcohol, it's downright scary. It's like where they created Frankenstein, it looks like, right? It's like, you're scared. it's like a laboratory, right? You look at that room, you're like, I'm not having this kid, right? But so the, they don't show you that room. That room is only if it's an emergency, right? So if Shimshin Pinkett says something unbelievable, he says the way we were supposed to be born, Kleistrel, well, it's birthing, you know, go through Mitzrayim and, get, and, 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 and be born as a nation. But all of a sudden, we started, we went down to the 49th level. Hashem said, uh-oh, the chipozon, I got to do a cesarean. A cesarean needs an operating room. An operating room has to be crazy sterile. For if there's a germ in that operating room when that baby is born, it'll kill the child, it'll kill the mother. So that room has to be scrubbed down, sterile, stainless steel, gloves, mask, hat, pants, jacket, the whole thing. Everybody in that room, it looks like, like it's a surgery, it looks like an open heart surgery. 
So Rav Shimshim Pinkus, and this is also brought down the Kava Yasha, it's brought down in many Sfarim of, 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 of Kabbalah. What's the whole thing in the next three weeks that you're supposed to clean up your house for breadcrumbs? Breadcrumbs, God's not scared of breadcrumbs. You get married, you have to wash. Pinyin Abang, you have to wash. Brismila, you have to wash. Shabbos, you have to wash three times. All of a sudden, for seven days, God says, bread? <laughs> One crumb in the house, you're done. He got scared of bread. What's going on? What's the bread problem? So all Kabbalah and all the Chazal tell us that the bread is a representation, Sa'ar Shabi Isa, of the Satan, of Averis. So God gave us something in the physical world to clean, and it parallels in the spiritual world with our Averis. So therefore, the halacha is that by the time you come to the Seder, and since we were born Bechipazon, we were born in an operating room, we were born in a Caesarean, and therefore, when you create this nation of Klai Yisrael, there can't be any germs in the room. Therefore, when you sit by the Seder, there can't be any chametz. Because the chametz represents the Averis, represents the germs. But if you're going to sit at the table and make jokes and come to the table with Averis, you miss the whole thing. That you vacuum the bread. Of course, it's a mitzvah. That you know, it's a mitzvah in the Torah. But that you vacuum the bread, you miss the whole thing. The, the rabbis, the chassidim, the rabbis, used to spend, bedikas chametz, used to spend the whole night. It took them ten hours to do two rooms. Because they went into every corner, and every corner was another corner of their heart, of their soul. And they said the biggest bedikas chametz is, is the baidik is to check in your heart to make sure there's no chametz in your heart. And therefore, for the next four weeks, it's not only just cleaning our houses, but it's cleaning ourselves. Because it's the birth of Klal Yisrael. <laughs> now the governor goes home, and he takes his wife, who told, her, who told him she loves him till the end of the world. And he says, how can the two of us, we love each other so much, how can the two of us create something that's from both of us, that connects both of us. Because a man and a woman, you know, it's a nice saying to say they're one, but we're not one, we're two different people. You, you can get divorced. If you get divorced, if you're one, how do you get divorced? You cut them in half? <laughs> so it's a very nice saying that, you know, it's your missing part, it's your missing half, all that stuff. But the truth is, you're not really one. Because if you can get divorced, it means you're not one. How does a man and a woman become really one? By having a child. A child you cannot divorce. Because the child is made from the mother and father. You could say, I don't want you and I don't like you, but he's always your child. You can't divorce a child. So the way a woman and a man become one is through having a child. And we're going to talk about it in Kabbalah. That's why Hashem went, went after he killed the Bechayrim. Because the first consummation of the Mitzrayim and their Avodah Zara is the firstborn. Who, who, who puts the man and woman together the first child? The first child is where they become one because there's a child that's made out of both of them. So Hashem specifically killed the Bechayrim, because the Bechayrim were the consummation of the Mitzrim, and their Avoy Dezara. And He specifically saved our Bechayrim, because our children are the consummation of us and Hashem. There are three partners in a child, a woman, a man, and God. So every child, every person in this room, right, is the consummation of the, his mother, father, and Hashem. That's each one of us. So, so that consummation happens by Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. That consummation happens on Pesach night. And that's why we want the children to ask. And the children ask Manashtana. And there are four types of children. A Tam and a Chacham and a Rosh. It's, it's all about the children. We got it till the Vincha. 
Why does God to Levincha? I'll go learn, like every night. I'll go learn. I'll open up. I'll learn Svarim on the Seder. No, we got it to Levincha. It's all about the children. Because we became a nation. The consummation is through our children. It was the consummation. So this governor goes home with his wife and he says, Oh my goodness, I was about to kill you. And you told me how much you love me. And, and, I, and I had that moment of love. And how are we going to consummate this love between the two of us? How are we going to create a being that's the consummation of the two of us? And they decide to have a child. And that child is the consummation of the governor and the governor, whatever you want to call her, the wife of the governor. So Purim is that moment where Hashem saw how much we loved him, how we, we, we danced around the bima when the lights were off and it was 50 degrees. And we said, we're going to dance longer than we ever did. That was Purim. Now we got to come and we got to bring a child to the world. That's Pesach. we got to bring Klai Yisrael to the world. And how do we bring Klai Yisrael to the world? The first thing we need to do is clean the operating room and make sure that there's no germs. We need to go inside ourselves in the next three, four weeks, clean ourselves and change ourselves. And that way, we, then when we sit by the Seder, we'll be able to create this new being called Klai Yisrael. May we all have the schus that we don't even have to wait till Pesach, but that the governor, who is our Kurdish Baruch, after we showed him all this love, should grab us, run through the prison. The prison is gullus. And take us home, and take us home to his palace, to Eretz Yisrael, to the base Hamikdash from Harabi Amenu. Amen. We're selling tickets in the back. Rabbi, Rabbi Groner has tickets. Yes. The light came back on. For all those who want to know, the light came back on at exactly 1:35 Shabbos afternoon. Yes. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.